And it is Jesus who makes this a glorious day. Welcome to this morning's broadcast. We are so glad you could join us. Pastor Elliot is continuing his ongoing series in the book of Romans. Please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. We will begin to look at the five objection questions asked by the very first readers of this epistle to the Romans. And now with his message for this morning, our pastor, Robert Elliott. I knew a man who grew up in a single parent home. His mom did her best when she tried to raise him as her only child, but she killed her own pain and stress with booze. Habitually, his mom overdosed on alcohol, was drunk the majority of the time in the home. She often was too drunk to parent this young man when he was a child. And she told her young son how much she loved him and how much she would look after him and how everything was going to be okay, but he didn't buy a word of it. He had seen and lived too much, fending for himself from the youngest of ages. It's a hard thing to believe that someone is going to keep a promise when they've broken all the other promises made to you. It's a hard thing not to have your head messed up as a child when the one human person God puts into your life to care for you most uh, neglects you most because of alcohol. In grade school, this particular young boy packed his own backpack every day. And he went off to school in that backpack carrying extra food and drink and extra clothes and a penknife with which he could make a campsite if he came home and his mother took off. He took with him to school every day in the back, but whatever he figured he needed to come home after school to if his mother was dead or gone. Such is the burden of not believing any of the promises which are made to you. The boy, the troubled boy, grew up to be a troubled man, incapable of entering into healthy and trusting human relationships. And to this day, he is a man who is still fending all for himself, with all kinds of worst-case scenarios swirling around in his complicated mind. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who can heal this man's damaged emotions and warped ways of looking at life. But as yet, the man has not bowed the knee to Christ, although he's heard about him often. God, no less, has made many precious promises to his chosen people, Israel. But the Jews, like the boy-man of the story I've just told you, often discounted those promises. The Jews lived as though they really didn't believe that the promises of God would be delivered to them. Sad, condemning, complicating, impoverishing. The no-miss recipe for either being driven or being discouraged. We as Gentiles, if we somehow discount or doubt the promises of God, one of two things will happen. We will either be driven people or we will be discouraged people. In Romans 3, 1 through 8, we want to see three thoughts we need to resist. We need to resist all of these thoughts as we come to this passage. The first thought, I'm not Jewish. Second thought, I'm not sure that these verses apply to me. 
Third thought we want to resist, I don't think that I have discounted God's promises to me. Please, if any of those thoughts are your thoughts, reject them. Consciously, I believe, and sometimes unconsciously, we all doubt God's promises made to us from time to time. And so while you're looking in your Bibles, I invite you to go to Romans 3, verses 1 to 8. And as you turn to Romans 3, 1 to 8, and as you focus on it, bear in mind that you are bringing joy to your Lord, who is the Lord of his word, when you give your undivided attention to his word in these minutes. There are five objection questions in these eight verses. Five objection questions found in Romans 3, 1 to 8. The first objection question is this. Is there any advantage for being the Jew? Is there any advantage to being Jewish? Now, to understand this uh, question, we have to look back to chapter 2, verse 29, the last verse of chapter 2, to understand why chapter 3, verse 1, asks the objection question, is there any vantage for the Jew? Or what are the benefit of circumcision? Go back one verse, 229. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the Spirit, capital S, by the Spirit, not by the letter, and his praise is not from men, but from God. So with that truth of the last verse of chapter 2, the idea that true Jews are the ones with inner reality, not without a religious ritual, comes three ones question, is there any advantage to being Jewish? And verse 2 gives a strong yes answer. Look at verse 2. Great in every respect. First of all, that they were entrusted with the oracles of God. First of all, means there's a list of advantages to being Jewish, and the first thing in that list of advantages, of utmost importance advantage, is something the writer calls the oracles of God. The oracles of God. This was a way of saying the entire Old Testament. The the Gentile, the non-Jew, had not the Old Testament scriptures, but the Jew had the great and foremost advantage of having the Old Testament the scriptures, and especially the Old Testament promises of a coming Messiah and of a coming messianic kingdom on earth, thousand years, a millennial kingdom. This was a great advantage to being Jewish, to have the Old Testament scriptures that promised a Messiah one day and promised that that coming Messiah would have a kingdom. Great advantage. So the Jews... Most important advantage was the possession of the Old Testament, which promised a savior and a king. On to verses 3 and 4, chapter 3. What then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? May it never be. Rather, let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy words and mightest prevail when thou art judged. These verses give us objection question number two. Objection question number one, recall, was, is there any advantage to being Jewish? Objection question number two, does unbelief cancel the promises? Does unbelief cancel the promises? Please notice that verse 3 
names all of God's promises to Israel the faithfulness of God. It's like the writer bundles up all the many promises that God made to his people, the Jews, in the Old Testament, and he relabels the whole package, the faithfulness of God. Verse 3, what then? If some did not believe, their unbelief will not nullify the faithfulness of God, will it? Now, just what aspects of faithfulness are in view here? Like I said, the faithfulness of God is the sum total of all of the promises that God made to the Jews in the Old Testament, and to get even more specific, the covenants that God unconditionally entered into with the Jews that we find in the Old Testament. This is the faithfulness of God, to be specific in the Old Testament. The covenants that God struck with Israel. Which covenants, you say? Well, the Abrahamic covenant, God's faithfulness in respect to the Abrahamic covenant. We read of that first in Genesis chapter 12. It promised a Jewish nation, a Jewish land, and that the Jews would be the vehicle of blessing to the world because in this humanity, Jesus Christ was Jewish. The faithfulness of God in the Abrahamic covenant, but there's more. The faithfulness of God in the Mosaic covenant, Exodus chapters 19 through 40. The Mosaic covenant is also called the law. The law, the Ten Commandments and all the rest of the law that God dictated to his people in chapters 19 through 40 of Exodus. God's faithfulness in respect to the Mosaic law. God basically said to the Jews, obey my law, and I'll bless you. Disobey my law, and I'll curse you. It's the only conditional covenant that God struck with Israel in all of the Old Testament. God said, obey my law, I'll bless you. Disobey my law, I'll curse you. Thanks, Pastor Rob, for your message today. And now it's time for Youth Talk with Pastor Nicholas Rogers. Good morning, this is Pastor Nicholas, another edition of Youth Talk. And today we will conclude our series on family feud. And last week we started talking about how we have to love one another. And today we're going to continue that and we look at 1 John 4, verse 20. And when we consider a family, again, if we consider, we've been talking about feuds, you know, we know of people and families who haven't talked for years. And some people don't even know why. We know people who hate their brother or sister. We know people who hate their mother or father for whatever reason. As a Christian, we need to recognize that this is not what God would call us to do. And 1 John 4, 20 says this, if anyone says, I love God, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, cannot love God with whom he has not seen. And we have this commandment from him. The one who loves God must also love his brother or sister. Again, when we consider this, it all goes back to the beginning as we start this series. Love. We love God. And if we love God, how can we be in conflict constantly with our brother or sister? How can we say we love God if we don't love the person who we can see, but we love God who we don't see? You know, we have to understand that the quality of this relationship, it all depends on our relationship with God. You know, we can overlook things when we understand that. As we looked at the beginning, we are imperfect people. You know, when we consider this, we need to look at what the Word says, that we are to love Him above everything else. Not only that, that, but our love for God is made complete in the way we love others. According to John, it's not even possible to love God if we don't love the people God has made. 
In the same way, we prove our love for God by loving others, including our families. And this is huge for us. It's huge for us to recognize that we have to love one another, that we must love God first, and that flows out of everything. You know, we, we, we talked about last week, we, we have to understand the word love. And love is sacrificial. Love is selfless. Love is putting, you know, people before, you know, whatever it is. And that's how it is with God. This is how we need to love. So what is love? What does it mean for us and our families to love? It means you are called by God to love your family. Not in a passive way, but actively. The kind of love that we read about today doesn't happen by accident. It requires purpose and intention. So we need to look for ways to, to love that person. We need to look for ways to show love. What can we do to show love? And love is shown in many different ways. Love can be shown by just telling them you love them. Love can be shown by doing something that you don't normally do whether it be a chore around the house, whatever it may be. Love can be writing a note. Love can be encouraging. Love can be shown in so many different ways. But if we are all honest with ourselves, love can be hard sometimes because we're dealing with human beings. We're dealing with fallen people. And like I said, at, you know, we said at the beginning with the imperfect people, we need to look at that and remember that God loved us so much that he would send his son to die for us so that we could have a relationship with him. We didn't deserve that love. There are many of you who don't deserve to be loved at times, but your parents love you so much sacrificially and still continue to show that love to you. You see, you can love your family like God loves you by setting your mind and heart on the things of God and asking for help from the Holy Spirit. You can love your family like God has loved you. When you love your family well, you not only demonstrate how God has loved you, but you demonstrate to God how much you love Him. You see, we need to look at that hand in hand. We need to look at our love for God should be filtered into our love for our parents and those around us, our aunts, our brothers, our sisters. You know, think about it. Think about the the problems that you have in the house with your brother or sister, and your parents have to deal with these different problems. Again, whether it's your mom, your dad, sibling, grandparent, or cousin, God is calling you to love them. Again, because showing love to your family shows your love for God. You know, as we conclude this series, as we think of what all the different lessons that we have learned and we've been through and and how we've looked at talking about how there's so much feuding going on in the family, so much problems in society, we have to remember that God is in control. God can change a situation. God can help a situation. You know, again, as you are listening to this broadcast, as a teenager, you may be, again, you may be the only one who knows Christ as your personal Savior in that household. And we've looked at how we must still honor our parents, how we must love them. But I want to challenge you to ask you this. How have you prayed for them? How have you prayed for your brother or sister? How have you prayed for your parents? How have you prayed for you to be a light in your household? You see, prayer is what we need. We need to look at how we can help one another. And the first thing, as we think of prayer, and we think about going to God, and this is a way that we can go to Him. First, we need to thank God for the families He's given us. Because I think that we need to recognize that there are people who don't have a family, 
who have been already pushed away from their family, who people don't want nothing to do with. Again, yes, they're not perfect, but they're ours. They're our family. Next, we need to remember, again, what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, and we need to ask God to help us be more patient, be more forgiving, be more honoring, and be more loving. You know, imagine that if we did this, if we went through this, and we were really, you know, concerned about those around us, and we concerned about our family, that we were more patient, we were more forgiving, we were more honoring and more loving, how much of a difference it would make. And again, we can do this alone. This is why we need to go to God and ask Him to help us. And finally, we need to ask Him, let's make a commitment to God that we will do something specific this week to love our families in a selfless, sacrificial, and spirit-led way. Again, this isn't something that we can do on our own. We need God's help. We need the Holy Spirit's help to, to help us to love those around us. And I would challenge you, Again, as we've been looking at over these last couple of weeks, please, don't let it just be words. Don't let it just be something that, you know, don't let love be something that we just say, but show it. Show it. Show your parents that you love them. Show your brother or sister you love them. Show your cousins you love them, your grandparents, whoever it may be. But don't just show them the love that's from you. Show them the love that's from God. The only way that we can love fully is that we are showing love from God. And as a believer, we need to be different. And you may be listening to this broadcast and you know what you may say, I don't have a relationship with Christ. And you know what? The reality is, is that if you don't have a relationship with Christ, you really don't know what love is. Because Christ showed us what love was. Again, as he showed us because God sent his son and that's what love is. Someone who would lay down their life for their brother. Someone who would lay down their life. Someone who wants a relationship with you. And let me just be very, you know, careful. I'm not telling you to, you have to die for your brother or sister. But that's what God did for you. He died. He sent his son to die for you, to have a relationship with you. His only son. So, I challenge you, as we, again, as we close this series, that we would love one another wholeheartedly and not just our love but that we will show them the love of Christ through us through God's Holy Spirit and now today's ministry spotlight good morning my brother Patrick Rutherford good morning Pastor Rob just to remind our listeners Patrick is the uh, regional director of precept ministries for the Caribbean helping regular, ordinary, garden-variety Christians to get into God's Word, to observe it, to interpret it, and then to apply it to their lives. We're going to talk this morning, Patrick, about living by faith. Oh, wow. And I know that the model that you operate on with your ministry is that you are a faith-supported uh, family. Mm -hmm. uh, and we're going to explore what it means in your context to learn to live by faith in God. Let me just start by asking, what has it meant and what does it mean for you and your family to live by faith? Well, first of all, Pastor Rob, our basic definition of faith is taking God at his, at his word mm -hmm. and living accordingly. For us, God said he would never leave us nor forsake us. So when we made the decision back in 2001 to live by faith, 
essentially what we were saying was, God, we're going to depend on you to provide income enough for us to live and manage a family and do the work you've called us to do full time. I left the classroom in 2001, which I totally enjoyed. Uh, Mona Lisa prior to that was working at an offshore bank. And we had uh, lots of extra resources to play with. When we chose to, uh, believing this is what God had wanted us to do, uh, we learned in a very practical way what it meant to live by faith. We had to make some adjustments, but he's taught us contentment or what it is to be satisfied with him. And so we don't have all the frills and the sprills, but we are happy. As a matter of fact, dare I say, if you ask anyone in my household, we're happier today where we are living by faith because we know God's going to provide than when we were in the arena where we were drawing a regular salary and having more money than we could shake a stick at. That's a profound conclusion and bottom line. It's countercultural. It's a paradox to not have a, a guaranteed uh, paycheck makes you happier than when you had one. Yeah. That's that's remarkable. Yeah. But let's let's be real as well. What is scary about living by faith? <laughs> uh, yesterday, Pastor Rob, my wife calls me and she says, Patrick, the BEC truck is out front. And I had to hurry up, file through my file in my mind to make sure, did we pay the BEC bill this, <laughs> this month? <laughs> so uh, it, it's that real. We take care of our bills as best as we can. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we're able to, at the beginning of each month, take care of those basic bills, but you still have a lot of month left. Yeah, right. And so trusting God to provide the rest over the last 15 years, every month has been miraculous. Uh, there's an old song we used to sing in the Baptist church that I used to go to. Uh, the, the, the one little line says, he's never failed me yet. <laughs> Praise so, the Lord. Yes. Yeah. Praise the Lord. Uh, I know the joy of walking by faith as well. And um, I think a lot of times it, it involves being like Peter when he walked on the water. As long as he kept his eyes on Jesus, Jesus allowed him to walk on the top of the water. But when he looked at the, took his eyes off Jesus and looked at the water, he sunk like a stone. Absolutely. And, right. And that's where we are. That's mm-hmm. where we are. Taking so, God as his word. That is such a simple and clear illustration of faith, Yes, definition of faith. We've talked a little bit about what's scary about living by faith. Let's turn to the positive. What's amazing about living by faith? You're free because <laughs> you know he's going to provide and you know he's going to do something so phenomenal at the end of the day that he's going to get all the glory. He's going to get on the honor, all the praise. And in my short life, Pastor Rob, rarely does he do it the same way mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. I'd love to say that on the 30th of each month, a raven is going to come by and land on their front porch. <laughs> Send him my way on the 29th, all right? <laughs> indeed, indeed. But God just works in so, so miraculous ways. So our family, we are... The, the amazing thing is we, we, we just stand back and watch the salvation of the Lord, and he, and he does it. Pastor Rob, I'll give you an example. Um, Jasmine, our oldest, is uh, in her junior year at Taylor University. Yes. I remember filling out the application for the financial aspect of her going to school. 
I'll not say what the total amount of our school fees were, but to date, in our third year, Mona Lisa and I may have spent, may have spent $1,000 on our school fees in totality. Wow. God just provides. And it's scholarships here or scholarships here or a friend finding about it there. And when we go to pay and the school says, well, it's been paid for. Hmm. And so um, nothing short of the miraculous. Um, same thing with the, um, our second born and our third born who are in school. And so God, God does things. And uh, we, we, don't, we don't ask. We take our, our request to him. As a matter of fact, the writer Paul of Philippians, and in my excitement, I, I want to look it up just so I quote him properly. But here's what he says in Philippians chapter 4. I think it is. Um, he says, be anxious for nothing, but in most things. No, uh, I don't say that. says, in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And so we take delight in taking our, our needs to God. He's our Heavenly Father. He sure is. He, he is. never fails. He never fails. And uh, I think it was Hudson Taylor that said, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. Oh, I got to write that one down. I, believe I like that's that. what he said. Mm-hmm. Um, Patrick, there's yes. bound to be precious people listening today who um, are challenged and encouraged by your testimony even a brief one about what the benefits are Mm -hmm. of walking by faith and not by sight. Mm -hmm. What would you say would be a practical way that such a listener could move out with a new outlook on life, which would require faith in God instead of uh, faith in self? My faith in God, Pastor Rob, comes because of my direct involvement with the Word of God. I know, I know, I know in whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded. I see where God in the Bible provided for Abraham, yes, and Noah, yes. and Isaac, and yes. David, yes. and Solomon. When you read uh, uh, David's uh, prayers in the Psalm, uh, when you look at the life of Job, my wife, as loomy and gloomy as the book of Job is, my wife takes great comfort in reading Job. Uh, here's a man who is blameless, upright, turned away from evil, walking before God, and, and, and all of these quote-unquote bad things happened to Job, and yet God was there, faithful uh, to the end. As a matter of fact, I think the scripture says that Job's latter was better than. And so uh, that encourages us. As a matter of fact, Romans 15 verse 4 says, So whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction, so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures we may have hope. Great and verse. So, yes. And so that's where uh, uh, that's that for us is practical. Uh, our faith in God increases with our knowledge of God. Did you hear that, listener? Say that again, please. Our faith in God grows or increases with our knowledge of God. That's wonderful. Well, may I look better learn to live by faith and not by sight, and may all of us who are fellowshipping together by way of the radio, do the same. Amen. You've been listening to Echoes of Calvary, a radio ministry of Calvary Bible Church, Nassau, Bahamas. Our morning worship services are at 8 a.m. and 11 a.m. in our sanctuary located on Collins Avenue. We encourage you to join us. Feel free to write us 
at eocradio at gmail.com. That's eocradio at gmail.com or P.O. Box N1684, Nassau, Bahamas. And remember, everyone needs a savior.